What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly podcast for movies that have been rebooted, remade, sequelized, or adapted from any other source material, otherwise an unoriginal idea, and whether or not we needed it, and how they work in a modern setting. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me today is a special guest, a good friend, Matt Kanopka of the Killer Horror Critic website. How are you, Matt? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a while since we've had you around. A little bit, yeah. It's right? been, been a couple months myself since I was doing podcasts. So Great. Yeah, no. It should be fun. <laughs> it's good to have a small revival of the Killer Horror Podcast for a while. Indeed, indeed. We, of course, are doing uh, two episodes this week because there was so many movies coming out, and then an abysmal box office, which we will get to. Oh, God, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, getting, it's got me a little nervous now, but we are here today to talk about the Happy Death Day sequel, Happy Death Day to You, which came out kind of out of nowhere. I feel like this was announced quickly, shot quickly, released quickly. A typical Bloomhouse model. <laughs> yeah, they like to do that now. And you know, I think this is a great thing. You see it now in like video games, Bethesda will get on the top and be like, and today you can download Fallout mobile game. Eminem, Beyonce, or at least random CDs just whenever. I like that we're getting to a point where studios can almost just be like, here, we did this quickly. Have some fun. And, and, and you know, not to like interrupt with it all, but for me, that's actually the better model of things, you know, because like to reference against, we're talking about, I'm going to imagine going to focus on horror here. You know, look at the Pet Cemetery trailer, for example. Now I'm not going to talk about it, but the second trailer was released recently that just showed. All kinds of twists. <laughs> Everything, man. I yeah. hadn't watched that till I sat down at Happy Death Day, and I was I was watching with my roommate and friend of the show, Zane, and I, he was like, oh, man, this is the trailer that ruins everything. And I was like, oh, right. great. I'm in the middle of this prime AMC theater. I can't just get up. <laughs> like, right, exactly. Unless you like earmuffs and, you know, sing to yourself, you're, you're not going to avoid it. And if you ask me, it's just so much better to be able to just kind of jump into things a little blind, you know? So I, I really prefer when projects like this just completely come out of the blue. Well, kind of like the 10 Cloverfield Lane film did when it just dropped, like, I think we got the news of that two to three weeks before it came out, you know? Right, even the, you know, it wasn't that good of a movie, but the Cloverfield Paradox, that was just, yep. it's the Super Bowl and it's out. I really miss Discovery in a theater. I was thinking about this the other day. Mm. Trailers now are announced on YouTube with a mini trailer and you're gonna get the full trailer in a week and then it's shown on YouTube and then it's in front of a big movie that weekend and... I miss going to a theater and being surprised and yeah. watching this rollout of trailers and realizing I haven't heard of this and I don't know what this is and what could this be and I didn't know they were making this and now you go right. and you're like, there's the Spider-Man one, there's the Halloween one, there's the Pet Cemetery one, let's get to the thing that I'm already seeing. Right, and if you're like me getting all the use out of your AMC A-list card or whatever, it's like... You know, I'm seeing the same fucking trailers in a weekend if like four times in a row. I watched this How to Train Your Dragon trailer one more oh my God. time. Yeah. It's in front of, it better make $80 million because it is in front of every <laughs> movie. I saw Alita at Happy Death Day this weekend and I think it was in front of both of them. It was. Nobody in those audiences should be seeing that movie. I, I saw I saw Happy Death Day, Alita, and Lego 2 and it was in front of all of them. All of them. <laughs> just like, oh my God, guys. I'm just like, what is does have to do with Happy Death Day and Alita? <laughs> but yeah, that was something I really liked about Happy Death Day to you, that I just kind of walked in one day and was like, oh, great. And I actually had not seen the first one until this week. Oh, wow, okay. I, yeah, I had missed it because uh, there were just a handful of reviews that weren't great. I was waiting for my movie pass because there was a time where we believed that would be the future. Mm. And then it just Bro. was out of theaters. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> like movie pass, it went away quite quickly. Mm. Um, but I... 
really liked both of them. Yeah. I thought the, the first one was great. I immediately wanted more. I thought this was an overall really well-thought-out movie. That, go on with your thoughts. For sure. So I think, I think when it comes to both of these films, it's... To me, it's an example of expectations and how they are hurting cinema. You know, like yeah. getting into this idea of trailers and how we're, we just have all this being shoved down our throat constantly. I think that it's building up so much expectations for movies that now, unless those films meet that about 100%, I feel like people are walking out disappointed. And the reason I bring that up is like, take Happy Death Day, for instance, right? So going back to that, that was a late in the year release. I think it came out in October 2017, something yeah. like that. Uh, so I remember going into that, as I'm sure a lot of other horror fans were, of I'm going in expecting a fun slasher movie, you know. And what you end up getting is something a bit different than that. You know, it's kind of more more of a horror comedy, leaning more towards the comedy than it is the slasher aspect of it. Uh, and so the first time I saw Happy Death Day, I walked out kind of like, that was fun, but I don't really know if I enjoyed that as much as I should have. And then over time, I've revisited a few times and just really grown to love just how unique and original that film is. And it's my hope that the same is going to happen to Happy Death Day too, because if you've been paying attention to reviews this weekend, it seems like a lot of hardcore fans are into it, like a lot of hardcore critics are into it, but the fan base in general is just kind of walking out going, well, that, that wasn't a horror movie. That didn't have the slasher film that I thought it was. You know, and like people are confused by the fact that it's not just horror. It's kind of like a sci-fi comedy with some horror aspects. And you know? I thought the market, and I really want to get more into that in a mm. minute, because I liked that it did that. I agree. Because yeah. <clears throat> when it first came out, it was really easy to go, oh, it's the slasher Groundhog's Day. Mm -hmm. This was a concept that we've seen before. We've seen it in other genres. We've seen it with other twists. And it, it's not necessarily tired, but it's such a simple gimmick that if you get three or four movies that have a day reset, one, it's such a prominent gimmick mm -hmm. that you, you see it three or four times and you go, got it. We're going to go through this routine. They're going to do the same things. They're going to learn what they need to learn. They're going to break the curse, the spell, the whatever it is. I thought the first one did a really good job of building a character development through that one day and oh, yeah. really having her learn her mistakes, who she is, how people view her and giving you a very satisfying arc with a very well put together mystery no, that had a lot of good false endings and red herrings and immediately sets up all these people who could be the killer. And I thought the sequel did a good job of taking that and flipping it on its head. Right. And I also thought the sequel did a really good job of taking that concept because I kind of walked in and went, okay, it's going to be the friend's version of this story and she's just going to be the almost Obi-Wan Kenobi of it, of like, oh, well, I've gone through it and here's what we need to do and right. <laughs> we're going to hit the same game, for lack of a better word, again. Mm. And it really wasn't that. They really found a way to take this Groundhog's Day idea, which we've never had a sequel to a Groundhog's Day-esque movie before. Right. R risky move, but I, to me, it paid off. <laughs> and it made so much sense. They built around that idea. They grew and expanded it in a way, which then really motivated Tree mm. in a new and innovative way and really positioned her to make a lot of difficult choices with this ultimate ticking clock. And I, you're right. It does become this sci-fi movie. 
And I'm here for that. Like, oh, 100%. So I, I want to get to Tree in a second because I, I would love to talk about Tree. I could talk about Tree all day. <laughs> she's but so good. I could just talk about this actress all day. Just her, J- just her facial expressions, her reactions to things. She's and, amazing. Oh, my God. Um, but I, I wanted to touch on uh, what we're talking about here with the sequel being so different really quick. So going along with fan reactions, you know, Twitter, I'm on Twitter a lot. It's always kind of a... Interesting little place, you know, especially when it comes to film, because a lot of people have the audacity now to straight up just uh, tweet right to filmmakers and be like, hey, I hate you, your movie sucks, you know, or something like that. Yeah, it really is a curse that we've put on ourselves. It really is. And, you know, Christopher Landon, the director and and writer of this film, uh, God bless him, he has actually been responding to some of these. And I, I saw an interesting quote from him the other day that was just basically him saying, you know, they could have easily done what you were hinting at what this could have been they could have easily just taken the exact same concept thrown in a couple little different twists here and still done the exact same thing as happy death day and what he was saying is he wanted to do a film that wasn't just your average typical slasher sequel you know he wanted to actually come out and do something different and i mean i think they accomplished that in spades because you look at this and i don't think even though I do think the trailer pretty much advertises what this movie's going to be. Absolutely. I, I don't think anyone walks in expecting it to be so far away from horror and what we're walking in thinking this is going to be. You know, it's, it's just incredible. I, see, and that's where I, I really thought this trailer, though, showed me this was going to be a comedy farce, almost like Scream on Crack that we were going to kind of take these elements and parody them and grow them into almost these Looney Tunes ideas at times. Like, there were moments of this movie where I was like, man, they must have been in a writer's room, and just no one said no. There are just things, and I love it. Well, and this is what I love about Bloomhouse. You know, this is why I wish more studios took their formula and the way that they do things and adapted it, uh, because, you know, so I know we're going to talk about the box office eventually for this, but it's like... They have a model where even if a film is not necessarily successful in the box office, they will still profit off of it. Yeah. Which allows them to be able to take risks and do new and innovative things that people just aren't used to. And going along with that, you know, I do think, like you're saying as well, that the trailer emphasized this is not the horror sequel that we're looking for, you know? <laughs> but, um, but I think that... Uh, I actually have a theory that's kind of growing lately where I think that genre eventually is going to be a thing of the past. I think that yeah. the the longer we're going on with this, you're seeing more and more filmmakers coming out and doing these genre-blended films that don't really fit into just one category. And it's causing a lot of arguments with people saying, oh, well, this isn't a horror film or this isn't a sci-fi film or whatever, and they're getting upset about it. But I just think that that's because people aren't ready to except a world where it doesn't fit, where a film doesn't fit neatly into one category, you know? And I think that's happening with even, like, narrative structure now, where people mm-hmm. walk out and they go, well, that wasn't act one, act two, act three. Yes. And it's different and it's weird. And and that can fail and it can succeed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at a lot of horror movies and even... I used to call this a Marvel problem, and I'm starting to think it's just kind of the era that we're in now, that everything kind of infuses a little bit of comedy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think sometimes you look at moments in the Halloween remake, for instance, where you're like, well, we didn't really need to 
undercut that moment with this kind of goofy character, or goofy moment or goofy line. Right. Like I can still do without the bond me conversation, but <laughs> right. No, they have this like faux pulp fiction scene halfway yeah. through the movie. And you're like, well, we don't even, we can just cut this entirely and you can right. give me one more good kill. Um, but when they do it in a different way, when it's not just comedy, because I think comedy is the easy thing to go. It's an action comedy. It's a thriller comedy. It's a horror comedy. It's a sci-fi comedy. And when you instead start going, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the backdrop of a slasher movie. There's a killer on the loose. And we're around that going to build a sci-fi comedy. Mm. You start going, well, that's really interesting. Because in an age of reboots and remakes and sequels and unoriginality and kind of a lack of inspiration, you do have to start figuring out how to blend these elements together in a cohesive way. And I think this movie really does a good job of balancing these kooky comic book ideas of time travel and alternate dimensions. And, you know, we're going to sit here and do time travel stuff on napkins and have these back to the future moments. And once you kind of get the rules laid out, you move on and just Mm. kind of accept the ride you're on. We, We walked out of the theater and I was like, well, you know, they didn't fully explain this and they didn't fully explain that. And that's okay because I referenced Austin Powers too. And it's like, but what if I, if I go back in time? How would I see myself? And I've gone cross-eyed. Just enjoy yourself. Right, exactly. And, you know, I, I wish more people were going to the theaters these days thinking that uh, because with a film like this, that's the mindset you need to have. Like, almost no movie is going to meet your expectations, you know, to the level that you're going and wanting them to. So why... We're paying, we're going in there, we're surrounded by people who just want to have a good time. Just have a good time. Well, just enjoy what you're there for. <laughs> and I'm sure you know better than me, but like the no. the horror slasher movies, you get Halloween, Jason, Freddy, Poltergeist, all of these movies, eventually you have to start going, am I going to keep seeing the same movie? Are we going to mm-hmm. keep chasing this ghost that John Carpenter made in the 70s? Or are we going to start doing some weird, crazy stuff? Well, and that's how those movies survive. You know, you mentioned Friday the 13th. That franchise was practically dead by the time the fifth one came out. The only reason that that was rejuvenated and went on to make, what, like seven more sequels and a remake is because they did Jason 6, Jason Lives. And in that, you always had this idea of like, okay, Jason's kind of like a sort of immortal character or whatever we can't really kill him but they never went full on with that and then in part six he essentially gets brought back to life via frankenstein electrocution you know and becomes a full-on like silly goofy monster movie and it completely changed the way that franchise was looked at so yeah it's it's great that you have to take these lefts and i think happy death day has put itself in an interesting position where if this franchise continues I wouldn't mind. Eventually it'll get too bonkers, but like, what's the next one going to be? Can you do some weird Western movie with this element? Or now we have this time travel device. Is it going to become this men in black loop where we keep finding different places and different things until people can escape out of it? And and that's what's great about it. I mean, they've set it up where, you know, because because I think you were mentioning earlier, the whole Groundhog's Day thing can get pretty old if we're essentially following the same formula every movie, um, which, again, is why I'm so glad they went the route they did in this, because now it's set up where you can literally do anything you want with this franchise. They have erased all boundaries. You can, like like you're saying, you want to go do the Western with 
tree going back to the 1800s somehow or something. You know, we can do that now. Right. We, we can put her in a cowboy hat and some guns in a holster. Like. I would watch <laughs> this movie. I would, too. Like, I, there, there really is no more stopping it. Right. We're in multiple dimensions. We're doing time travel. We have this agency now. I it's mean, fuck. They, they, can, they can go to a universe where everybody's a blob monster, you know? Like, they, there's literally nothing they can't do at this it's point. It's basically becoming a Rick and Morty yeah. setback for a movie. No, yeah. And that, that's That's great comparison. Fine. Yeah, it's like, yeah, who cares? Just get in there. But So I'm curious, then, what other kind of genres would you want to see, I guess specifically the slasher movie, try to tackle? Because outside of this and Scream, I can't really think of other examples where they've tried this hard to make it the backdrop of the movie, where the really the mm. only thing the slasher is is the motivating force. Right, so, so you're asking what other genres do we want to see really take over with the horror is kind of like the background yeah. of it. Or even other ones, uh, if you want to infuse whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, well, we've always kind of been there with comedy. Like, comedy's been a big part of horror forever. Uh, so I don't really know if I'll include that. But um, I think westerns would be fun. I, I There's always room for westerns, you know, just like everything else. It's cyclical. They all come back eventually. Um, I would really like to see some more sci-fi horror honestly that we have plenty of sci-fi horror but i would like to see more that really uses the horror as kind of like the setup but really with more of a sci-fi sort of tone to it you know yeah um well i think those elements work well together because sci-fi and horror share the same kind of thematic idea of taking our reality and either going, here's something we're afraid of or where we're going, or mm. they have that commonality where you can just be like, what is the future going to look like? And why, what would we be scared of then? Uh, another one that's not really, which is surprising. One that's not done to the extent it could be is actually romantic horror. Uh, so love is in one way or another, almost always a part of the genre. I mean, you go as far back as, like, the original Dracula or Bride of Frankenstein. Right. Love has always been a theme in horror, um, but we so rarely see it where this sort of, like, romantic film is the main tone that we have for it with the horror as a backdrop. We saw it a few years ago with a film called Spring, uh, which was fantastic. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. I have not. Um, but it was kind of like, uh, you ever hear those movies before sunset and before sunrise? Yeah. Uh, so it was very similar to those in tone, but dealt with, uh, the female character suffering from kind of a disease where she basically becomes like a tentacled Lovecraftian monster once in a while. So, <laughs> uh, but, but that element of it was very much in the backdrop because the movie itself was more about these two characters falling in love, you know? So... I, I guess, you know, the simplest way to answer your question is I think every genre can be yeah. mixed together with this. I don't think that any film should limit itself to genre. You should, you, everyone should just be setting out to tell good stories because the best stories are the ones that combine elements from everything. Right. So. <clears throat> and it's getting harder and harder to pin that down. I think when you even mm-hmm. look at how they start labeling things and some of them are like I feel like thriller is the thing we throw on everything oh, don't, right? even, get me, don't like, even get me started on the thriller label I man. just I hate, hate it I this, fucking hate that thriller label this blanket <laughs> genre when you don't know I, what your movie is I, I, I'm sorry like a, a, any horror fans out there listening like I, I will go to my grave trying to say that Sounds of the Lambs and Seven are horror movies I, I hate this thriller bullshit <laughs> it's <laughs> right but it's like to the best of my knowledge I can't think of any 
like gangster movies or even a spy movie like Mission Impossible they're, that has these kind of elements in it. They're rare. Like there's, you know, I can think of like one gangster movie, Innocent Blood. It's this John Landis vampire movie from the 80s, I think. Oh, well, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, briefly, it's about this uh, vampire who accidentally turns the a mob boss into a vampire and then he starts turning all his little cronies into vampires and then it's up to her to stop him and take him down. But anyway, yeah, so you see examples of it all over the place, but I, I like you're saying, I would love to get to a point where it's just we don't even talk about genres specifically anymore. Right. You know, um, <clears throat> just because, yeah, I think there's so much more opportunity out there once you get rid of. Well, and it lets you build your sequel in your world in a way. Right. Like, let's talk for a minute. Kind of the thesis of the show is, you know, does this thing fail or succeed as a sequel? And, and did we need it? And I think the immediate response is to go, we didn't need a sequel to Happy Death Day. There was mm. no. <clears throat> Ooh, what else is it going to do and where else are we going to be? But this movie, we brought up Tree for a minute, really showed us that you can take themes of this movie, of this first Happy Death Day, where you know a big thematic element was moving on, living in the past, moving forward, change, identifying yourself. And you can kind of flip the script on that and instead really go, well, even if you've learned all of these things and you've overcome your trauma position with the idea of never having to deal with it would you choose that over your life right like the kind of crux of this movie for her to me really became do you want to usurp someone else's life that's yours at the stake of your memories the people you know what you've gone through what you just literally I guess in her mind, two-ish weeks ago but in reality one day ago Mm -hmm. went through Right. To just toss that all aside. No, it's a, it's a pretty pretty incredible thought when you think about it. Like, and what I what I love about that is it's relatable too because we've all we've all been there in one way or another. You know, like who who hasn't thought, oh, I wish I could go back in time and you know change this one little thing. But what we don't realize is that you change that one little thing. Now maybe your entire life is different, which means you're different. You have different memories, all this kind of stuff you might not be the same person you are today and maybe that's not what you really want, you know? Um, but in terms of your question, like, did this need a sequel? I, you know, I, I would argue most movies don't. Uh, I think that if you're if you're writing your movie and s- setting it up to be a sequel before you've even released it, you've already done yourself a disservice. Uh, you know, you mentioned Alita. We'll talk, right. <laughs> might talk about that later, but... Um, <clears throat> but... In terms of this film, does it need a sequel? No, but am I glad that we got one? Absolutely, because uh, getting into the Tree character, I think that I, I view Tree as the modern, uh, the modern final girl in horror. You know, she is to me. She's the example of what we need because since Happy Death Day, it's my hope that she and others like her are going to kind of revolutionize the idea of what a final girl is. And we've seen other examples with films like final girls and such. Yeah. And when you um, say final girl, you mean the last surviving, the, the last character. surviving girl, which is why, you know, I've also seen in the horror community, a bit of a change, which I do agree with where more of us are referring to final girls as survivor girls, because I feel like when you say final girl, it kind of, I, I, I know there's people out there who are going to listen to this and be like, ah, oh, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But 
When you have the term final girl, I think that... You sound like the serial killer checking names off and going, there's my final yeah, girl, you, I'm going to kill her. You you imply less that that character did anything to get there and more, it, like, it sounds more coincidental. Like, they just happen to be last, you know? Right. And so I like Survivor Girl better because that implies strength in these women that they've actually managed to make it to the end on, on their own doing. Um, but what's so great about Tree is, like, getting into the idea of final girls... You know, going all the way back to, like, the original Halloween and Friday the 13th, like, those are the films that started this whole idea within the horror community of Final Girls, which, you know, typically just revolved around women who are virginal and sweet and kind, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I I think that the more we get in the modern times, it's kind of like an outdated idea because... You know, I mean, for fuck's sake, like, kids are having sex and they're fucking, like, 16 now. Right. Or, or earlier. Uh, so, you know, I think I, I think implying that uh, that you only can be a final girl because you're a virgin, I just think that that's, I don't know, it's an outdated, like, Christian concept. Well, like and the genre, we also have to change how we kind of view it. And I think when you do say, when you mentioned these older slasher movies where it was like, the virgin's going to make it and you don't mm-hmm. have sex, these are the rules that Scream built to make fun of, right? Right, exactly. That's what Randy's <clears throat> whole character was about, was making fun of these tropes. Yeah. You know, and so I think ever since then, we've been on a trajectory to change it. And, it, you know, especially when it comes to this, it's like, do we really want characters where their whole basis of a character is the fact that they're a virgin? You know, like yeah. they're th- these, th- you want these to be people. They're, they're more than their, uh, than their sex life. Right. Right. So I think when you look at tree, she was such a revolutionary character because for one of the few times in horror history that I can remember, you took this character who normally in a slasher film is going to be the kind of like, you know, bitchy asshole of a girl who ends up getting sliced like halfway through because you love to hate her and for probably the good first half of the happy death day you kind of love to hate tree like she's an asshole you know uh but it's over time that she actually begins to take on all of these typical survivor girl qualities of you know being a good person and being strong and a fighter and all this kind of stuff and uh so I, I don't know. I just think she really flipped the idea on its head of what a survivor girl is. Oh, so. I completely. Well, because she starts off as the antithesis of one. Exactly. And as the movie goes, becomes sort of what you want to embody. Mm-hmm. It's a really, I think, interesting theme because you're right. It is relatable. The first movie and even the second movie is like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to well, not mm-hmm. be a dick? Like, right. Well, well and it, it makes it more achievable for an audience. You know, like an audience, when you're watching a character you want to root for, you want to root for somebody that you think you can become someday, you know? Like, right. you want to be like that person. And so with Tree, it's like, we're all kind of assholes in some way or another, you know? So we can connect to Tree right away with that. And then it's like, for any of us who do feel that way, here's Tree showing us, like, how we can grow to be a better person. And they also but, make her in the sequel following that. She's equipped now. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved also just seeing her be like, I've done this before. I can handle a gun and a weapon, and I'm not afraid, and I'm just, like, on a mission this time. And you're like, this is great. This right. is, like, what made, in my opinion, Halloween 2018 good was seeing this victim be like, not anymore. Right, exactly. And it's like, you know, somebody tells her, well, I think you're going to have to be killing yourself to reset the day. It's just kind of like, uh, whatever. All right. You know, and like she's got, 
And I'm sorry, like, for me, I'm not excited about fucking jumping off a 20-story building and landing on the pavement, but... You know, for tree, it's it's just another day. It's just so. what you have to do. Like there right. is also even a uh, we made this joke on our last episode of a, another podcast. I do one more drink. We were talking about adulting, and I was like, it's mm. just this thing that all these thirty year olds <laughs> say now, and they don't want to do their chores. Yeah. Go do your <laughs> chores. This was a movie where Tree's like, I'm just being an adult. There's a thing I need to do to do the things I need to do. Right. I'll just have to die over and over and over until we. Figure it out or the clock stops ticking. Yeah, drinking a gallon of laundry detergent, you know, that's just another errand for the day. (laughs) Right, yeah, like just, and all the different fun ways. When they play that Paramore song, Hard Times, over that montage, I loved it. Right, and I won't spoil anything for anyone here, but my God, the the jump out of the plane, I think, might be one of the funniest things I've seen. Yeah, that was was (laughs) the most, like, Looney Tunes class like bugs bunny bits that they could have done and i was just great love it. you're nowhere else you're gonna see things like this Mm -hmm. which is why it's a little disappointing that it's not doing better (sighs) like before like you know to give kind of some context of numbers you know the president's day weekend went therefore we counted this like i think five day long (laughs) weekend because we also had valentine's day Mm -hmm. so it you know the expectation is high i thought this was also the first weekend and what has been a slower year at the box office this was the first thing people I thought were excited for. Alita's our first kind of event movie. Mm-hmm. This was a sequel that I thought had huge awareness and huge hype behind it. Maybe I'm not as in the horror community, and maybe it just wasn't. But I was like, oh, people really want this movie. Like, I, I, I would say that there was decent hype in the horror community, you know? Because I, I, like, I'm constantly involved in that, and I, I people were excited. So, you know, I, I guess if we're going to talk about, like, why is it not doing as well? I don't know if you had more you wanted to say on that. Well, I just to run through the numbers, it's yeah. <clears throat> one, just kind of box office overall. This is the worst President's Day weekend since the year 2000, cool. which is almost a 20-year deficit. Now, you were never going to beat last year, right? Last year's President's Day had Black Panther. Yeah, you're that's pretty gonna, tough to top. <laughs> you're not going to cross that milestone, but that's still a 20% decrease from the 2017 and... 20-year deficit, that's bad. That's low, man. Really like bad. those are That does not bode well for the coming year. Now, granted, when you kind of look ahead to March, people might be saving their money. There's a tentpole movie every weekend there. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel, Dumbo, I think. There's a lot of Disney bigger properties, but that's so far away to me still. Uh, but in more context, Happy Death Day itself, uh, at the time of this recording, which is Sunday, is $9.8 million. It's fifth behind, I guess in order, first to fifth is going Alita, the Lego Movie 2 in its second weekend, uh, What Men Want also in its second weekend, and then Happy Death Day 2. Which Which is funny because I've seen all of those except for What Men Want, and I personally enjoyed Happy Death Day 2 the most. Yeah, it's a a good, all of these movies in here are good. I saw What Men Want. It is very funny. Like these are all quality movies, but... It's weird to have two movies in their second weekend. And isn't it romantic as third, the Rebel Wilson movie? I think I skipped that one. Uh, yeah. Alita Lego movie isn't romantic. What Men Want, Happy Death Day 2. Which also surprised. And that's Valentine's Day. That one I get. Alita, huge movie. Marketing's behind it. That one I get too. Right. So what do we think happened? Because Happy Death Day 1 opened at $26 million, which is almost triple what this movie is currently projected to come in at. Uh, yeah, you know, so I think there's probably a couple things we can look at. You know, one, one maybe obvious answer might be that, you know, you just mentioned those top five movies. 
Uh, I haven't seen two of them, but I can safely say that three of them were very enjoyable, you know? And so maybe it's just a rare case of there happens to be a lot of good movies out at once. Yeah. You know, you can't pay to go see everything for most people. So maybe that's just what's going on there. That's but true. It does always kind of come down to cost, but it's, I right. mean, but none of these are doing well. Like that's kind of the weird part is it's like, it's not just, right. maybe so, our goalpost for a good box office just has to shift. And honestly, it should. I mean, you know, you look at a film like Alita, I, I don't remember what the numbers are on that, but I know that movie costs upwards 127 of $127 million, and as of this recording, it's sitting, projected to make 41 it's around like 32 Right, exactly. So we, I, I think a big thing that studios need to look at, again, going back to the Boomhouse model we mentioned earlier, sure, Happy Death Day 2 has only made about $9 million. It's already profited, though. Right. You know, granted, it hasn't profited a lot yet, but it is still a profit. Whereas Alita has a long road ahead of it to make its money back. And so I do think that studios need to begin looking at these as we can't, (laughs) you can't constantly be setting a bar of my film has to make 200 plus million to be considered a success. It's just not going to happen. You absolutely can't do that because I mean, even when you look at the numbers, I think it's something like 10 movies account for 80% of the box office revenue in a year. And those right, are the that, big event movies, star Wars, the Avengers, like these machines behind it that have had right. decades of properties. But to, to me, that's just not sustainable. You know, like you, you have to, you know, back in the day, like these studios were surviving by having successes come out every so often. And they're not banking their entire year on one movie. So, and, you know, if and if we want to move deeper into, like, Happy Death Day itself uh, and what happened there, you know, I think one possibility is that uh, there were probably a lot of people who didn't quite expect what they got out of the original. So maybe right. maybe this just didn't interest them. I don't know. But then also, you know, I think there's a possibility of when you watch the trailer, even though I think the film looks very different in the trailer you're still introducing this idea that, okay, we're going back to the Monday the 18th and and waking up back in uh, Carter's room over and over again. And I, I just wonder if maybe an audience looked at that and said, well, I don't want to do the same thing again, not realizing that this was going to be a very different movie. It's too easy of a get... It's the same thing we said. If this is just a rehash of exactly what we did, why would we go? Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if there's even a little bit of theater worthiness to it was this an idea that people went wow that looks really good but i could watch it on netflix and have the same experience in a few weeks like is Mm -hmm. there that maybe that's an element of it too because it is very from the trailers similar to the first one it really looked like you just jumped over to the next guy this curse jumps back and forth whatever we're gonna solve the mystery when it it's a lot more than that but you know you also they were smart where they didn't give us all that in the trailer it's a challenge, right? Of like, you want to show what this movie is and hook people in, but to really prove how different it is, you have to spoil all the elements that to me made me really in the theater be like, Oh, we're doing this. And there's Um, parallel this. And wow. It's, it's the rock and a hard place that studios are constantly in with marketing. Now, like we, we were kind of dunking on before the fact that pet cemetery spoiled a bunch of itself. But the reality is that like you're saying, a lot of studios do feel the need to, 
you know, spoil a lot. Because oh, but look, they, I'm a sucker. They spoil a lot in that movie, and I was like, <laughs> that looks good, though, man. I mean, no, like, no, for sure. I mean, and but that's how it works. You know, the the more they give you, the more you're like, oh my god, that looks awesome, and you want to go see it. And unfortunately, these days there is that Netflix wait for VOD mentality where people just aren't going to theaters. Which is why, you know, I, I strongly best that every theater do what AMC's doing with this A-list thing. It's fucking $20 a month for three movies a week. Oh, hey, yeah. a movie. It's awesome. Yeah, I did What Men Want, Alita, and this this week, and I didn't even feel it. <laughs> right, exactly. It doesn't even hurt your wallet. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. And we're not getting any money from AMC, but I really don't right. understand. <laughs> I know a few people who are like, oh, I don't know yet. I'm like, you don't know yet. Right. You saw a movie with me for $25 in IMAX. That, that's how I feel about it, too. What? It's like you, you literally pay to go to the movies once. You've already paid the monthly membership for this. <laughs> just, yeah, you're good. You're, you should just have it now. Like, right. AMC, well, I don't know how smart that would be. For all I know, that's a loss. And they'd lose a ton of money if they just gave you an A-list every time you bought a ticket. <laughs> that would probably actually be terrible. I don't know how business works. Yeah, I'm If not I a did, this person. podcast would have much more downloads. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, it's a bummer, but you're right. Blumhouse is now, I think it was a, when Glass came out, the Hollywood Reporter called them too small to fail. They are. They and can't fail. fascinating because even just this year, it's been Glass and this movie. Mm-hmm. And both of them have gotten, you know, split down the middle reviews. Both of them cost next to nothing. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of walking around like, yeah, we made some pocket change. We right. have small overhead. We're here. We have now we're owned by Universal. We can just kind of sit here and do whatever. And every once in a while, we'll make The Nun or Halloween and be one of the highest grossing R-rated movies of all time. Exactly. So look at it this way. You know, uh, by the way, I think that the rumor is that Jason Bloom and Landon and Christopher Landon do want to do a trilogy with this. So I believe there will be a third one, as hinted at with the end credits there. Uh, but, and I, and I, I, I think I can probably guarantee you they're going to do it no matter what, because, because what do they have to lose? You know, that's the genius behind Bloomhouse is like you said, they don't, they don't need that one big movie in the year to keep the studio afloat. They profit off of everything because they're keeping the budget right to where it needs to be. So they're like the perfect mirror of Disney where I'm like, well, you know, Disney might, and this is, you know, what happened to Banks. But they might now be too big to fail, where they can just go, Star Wars is coming out, it's fine, Disneyland's here, whatever, and keep making these huge movies. And Blumhouse is just kind of in the corner, almost doing the same thing with incredibly smaller numbers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) With just like, oh, well, if we just keep our overhead to nothing and we make a little bit of money... We have the same, like, I don't know, you never see profit margins, right? You only ever see box office numbers. Right. We don't know if, even if Alita made $500 million, we don't know how much of that goes to the studio and goes to James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez and... All of it to Cameron. <laughs> right. I, yeah, no, yeah, what's he going to do? Wait 20 years to make a blue person in a movie? <laughs> like, but then you kind of look at Blumhouse and you go, well, what if the profit margins are the same? If you're at nine million with an eight million budget, or nine point seven with a nine million budget, and Disney in the other corner makes Dumbo for a quarter million, a quarter billion rather, and makes a half a billion and a half, they're almost making the same profit margins. It's right, for it's sure. insane. Yeah. But I think it's great. But you mentioned this third teaser, and I think this will be one of the last things we touch on here. Okay. 
what do you want to see from a third one if we get it? Like, what expands now? We talked about this genre building, these characters developing. Well, how, how... Some small spoilers, I guess. <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, skip a couple minutes here, and right, so, we're going to so get I, into I, it. I can talk about the end credit scene here. Yeah, let's that, do okay. it. So, so I mean, I, I, I think what I want is pretty simple out of it, actually, is I, I think what they set us up for with... Uh, uh, fuck with the hell's her face, Danielle. Yeah. With Danielle being the one who has to <laughs> go through a tree and all them have been going through over and over again. I, give me that, man. Like, because see the, well, you know, actually it's interesting as I'm thinking about it because Danielle is kind of the same character from Happy Death Day with Tree. Right. You know, so they will have to do something Quite a bit different, I think, to not just repeat what they did with Happy Death Day. Because we don't we don't want to just watch Danielle become a good person like we watch with Tree. Yeah. There's got to be something else in there. So, I mean, I don't know, man. All, all I got to say is let's get fucking crazy. Well, like, let me posit something to you that I yeah. just thought of in this. Because the movie ends full-on spoilers. I they get thought, actually. Yeah, go ahead. They get taken into the, in the black vans, and it's now this... Men in Black Mission Impossible facility. They've discovered time travel. They want to see what they can do with it. They're going to choose somebody to stick in the loop, and the the joke stinger is it's going to be Danielle. Mm-hmm. So we still don't really know, right? Are they just in a loop that resets at 1201? Are they in a loop that resets because you die? You can do a lot of different things with that element. But I, as I know both of us are, rather big fans of some of the first few Saw movies. Mm-hmm. What if we just developed a villain who was using this in the same Saw way? You find these bad people and you just put them in a loop of something awful and they have to become the better person to get out of it. Hey, I mean, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> that would actually be pretty fun to watch Danielle just refuse to become a good person. Um, so, no, I think that would be great. I also had a thought, too, that... So, I don't know if you felt this way during the movie. One of... Because it... As much as we're talking about how much we loved it, I do think that it has its flaws. Absolutely. And, and one of those is it's a jam-packed film. Well, just, Matt, it becomes Ocean's <laughs> 13 mini version for the last third right. act. It, it's it's just full of oh so much. And it, there was one element in this film that I really wish we had touched on more, which is the fact that uh, Ryan Carter's roommate, who ends up becoming more of an influential character this time around, uh he ends up meeting a double. Who, That's exactly what I wanted to talk about. That yeah, yeah. He ends up meeting a double who has come back in time to try to kill him to like prevent what's going on, and they never went back to that. Uh, unlike Back to the Future Two, which this film very clearly heavily references. Oh, they have a Biff lawn mowing agency in it. They 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 have that. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the musical cues are yep. even kind of similar. Um, but anyway, in Back to the Future 2, uh, Marty McFly and the Doc, they're constantly dealing with their other halves, you know? And we never really got that in this, and I was really excited when I thought we might. So for a third film, I mean, can you imagine Jessica Roth's tree dealing with That's what an I, evil version of herself? Like, I thought the twist in this movie was going to be that the new baby mask person was was that dimension, because they set up that you switch dimensions, Right. And it seemed as if when um, Ryan does it, that he's replacing himself. And mm-hmm. there's two of them. And it seems that when Tree does it, she just takes on the body of that tree. Right. I really thought the baby mask killer was going to be that dimension's tree to be like, get out of my life. 
and right. my world. This is mine. Well, you have yours. And, and it would have made sense too because Tree's going after Lori, or, or not Tree, but the killer's going after Lori in this film. Yeah. And you know why not do the reverse from Happy Death Day where it's like now Tree's going after Lori because of the affair, not the other way around. Yeah. So, or you just have like all of the trees trying to get into this. Earth 2, I guess, right. where her mom's alive and there's like five babies. Because they, do, they don't even tell you, right, when like The Flash or comic books does this multiverse, it's infinite. Mm-hmm. This movie very clearly said six. Right. So I was like, oh, there's going to be five baby mass killers and they're all going to be trying to kill each other and they're all tree and they all want to be here with her mom. <laughs> That's what this is going to be. They've yeah. all found the dimension where the mom is alive and they're all going to be coming for it. Right, and I, I think that'd be great. It, just the idea of seeing two trees on screen at once gets me excited. So. Oh, it would be so fun. Well, I mean. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, gross, Blake. Not that way. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I would love that. I, I now, like, I kind of walked on. I was like, yeah, you know, I really enjoyed it. There were exactly what we said, but the duplicate that we never really dealt with. We never really dealt with. You know, some elements of the rules, they never really tell you what this machine is originally designed to do. It just, oops, time travel. <laughs> right, um, we just kind of fell ass. Yeah, it's like those it. old cereal commercials where, like, Captain Crunch doesn't go to the factory and he comes back and he's like, it's all berries now. <laughs> it's like they just left this thing one day and we're like, it's time travel. Right, right. Uh, uh, yeah, a, a lot of untouched on plot points that just kind of come and go, you know, but, but again, that, that just speaks to how fun the movie is because you're willing to overlook all of these, what would normally be some pretty big problems in a film. Yeah. I mean, it so. really does. It's a testament to her performance and the mm-hmm. writing and directing that you can kind of walk out and be like, yeah, I don't care about those three problems. This was fun. Like, right. Oh, what's that? We never got more doubles. Like we totally should have and thought we were going to. Oh, right. Whatever. Like, you know, meanwhile, every time they release a costume for Michael Myers, mask, we put it under eight microscopes and we're like, it's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> yeah, this well, is preposterous. Yeah, Jason's that's... hockey mask had 45 holes in the first movie. <laughs> I will not see a movie where it has 50. It's it's sad, but it's true. You know, I <laughs> I was hanging out with a, a buddy the other day who I won't name here and mentioned mentioned a possible remake of Friday the 13th with a new replacement for Betsy Palmer. And he's like, you can't replace Betsy Palmer. And I was like, I mean, look, I love Betsy in the original Friday the 13th, but for God's sake, she's in the movie for 10 minutes, man. Like, <laughs> she, you know, like we're really kind of just there. Right. We're, we're really like nitpicking this shit now. <laughs> like, oh, you're right. I guess we just won't make this movie. Right. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, that's a whole different conversation of where those rights are and how all that goes. It's a mess. It's a mess. It really is just insane how these things worked out. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it. You liked it. Mm-hmm. I would watch more. Oh, I definitely would watch more. I, I hope to hear an announcement of a third one shortly. <laughs> I'm sure that you'll hear so because, you know, I mean... I really like Jason Blum, but I like the things he says. And there, there's some quotes he has where I'm like, oh, it's a really smart guy. But then he'll have these interviews that I was just hearing about where they're like, would you make another Halloween? Well, we don't really have the rights to Halloween right now. We don't have the rights to a sequel, but I'd make another one. Hell, I'd make 10. I, I did hear that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, man, sometimes you got to reel it back a little bit. Like every Bloom, now- Bloom gets a little ahead of himself. I, I won't even get into some of the Oh, he when said, he had but- that one where they were like, what else would you make? Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. I'm like, dude, you got to leave like one classic franchise for somebody else. Like, you don't care. But, you know, I mean, again, though, speaking Speaking to that, it's like, do I really want some of these other franchises going to the big studios where they're just going to fuck it up? 
But oh I mean, god. if you asked me that question too, if you're like, if you could make one, like if you could make every superhero movie, I'd be like, oh my god, I would make Spider-Man and I would make the X-Men and I would make Iron Man. Like, <laughs> of course, if you're a fan of this, you're gonna be like, give me everything. Right. right. Why wouldn't I want to make everything? Right. Just as a consumer, you're like, okay, man, we can. Well, I mean, yeah, when you hear mention of ten Halloweens, it's like, <laughs> it's like, look, man, we're already kind of tired of Michael Myers. Even I will be revival. in my fifties if you do that, sir. Like, right? Like, I, I, lo- I love Michael. I don't know if I want ten more Michael Myers. Movies. I mean, that, this was what if you look at it just by the numbers, the fifteenth, sixteenth. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, like, let's face it, you're gonna have to have Michael start time traveling or something to make it interesting. <laughs> like, like, I'll watch a time traveling Mike Myers. <laughs> If you want to open up some Happy Death Day 2 shit with Mike Myers and he's fighting the Rob Zombie one and the original one and the H2O one and they all get stuck in Seasons of the Witch timeline, I'm in. I got it. He's traveling back in time to kill Rob Zombie and stop the remake from ever I would watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, that's our show. Uh, Thank you for listening to hopefully both of the ones we put up this week because we're doubling down. Uh, as always, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You can hit the button, and then you leave us five stars. It's the only one that works. A lot of people don't know that. One through four don't do anything. You have to hit the fifth one. It's true. I can attest to that. Yeah, it's yeah. just science, really. <laughs> uh, you can listen to my other two shows, How Do You Figure, an action figure collecting podcast, the same way you're listening to this one, except with a different name. Uh, and the other one, One More Drink, which is just a comedy show about life. You can follow all of Matt's work at Killer Horror Critic is the Twitter yeah, so uh, it's Killer Horror Critic on Twitter. The handle's at Killer from Space. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Killer Horror Critic, and we have a Facebook page, horror group, whatever, at Killer Horror Critic. Uh, and I also will have a, po- a new podcast coming out. We used to do one called Killer Horror Podcast, but I'll have a new one coming out soon. It's going to be interviews and uh, discussions with uh, horror filmmakers, writers, actors, actresses, whatever. Uh, discussions on the horror genre itself and their work and yeah hope you guys all check it out great well we'll see you next time